Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Okay. Well, hello there, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and I'm very pleased to see uh, you today and to introduce you to my guest, Dr. John Pudelil. He has practiced medicine as a pediatrician and allergist for more than 30 years, with 27 of those years in the state of Texas until his retirement in 2008. He holds certifications from the American Board of Pediatrics, the American Board of Allergy and Immunology, and the Canadian Board of Pediatrics. It's quite a feat. During his medical practice, Dr. John, as he likes to be called, became interested in understanding the causes of interconnections between hunger, satiation, obesity, weight gain, diabetes, and cancer. He has authored four books, including Diabetes, The Real Cause and the Right Cure, Surviving Cancer, Eat, Chew, Live, and When Your Child Has Cancer. If you have type 2 diabetes, Dr. Pudelil says he can help you reverse this in eight weeks. We will talk to him about all of this and more, but first, let's welcome Dr. John. Welcome. Frankie, I thank you for having me, and I thank our listeners. And they're going to thank you for coming on, too, I'm sure. <laughs> you, um, you, you, you were sparked with curiosity about diabetes and prediabetes. Uh, what, why is that? What, what, what was the thing that was going through your head? I mean, you... During my practice, one of my relatives got her legs amputated. Okay. She had diabetes. She was on insulin. She was keeping her A1C below seven. Oh, okay. My, my friend, another friend, had kidney damage, had to go to dialysis. Again, the same situation. One of my relatives developed Alzheimer's. Again, same situation, on insulin, diabetes for a long time. So I started thinking, what is going on here? If you take a medication, you should not have the side effects or the complications right. of that illness. So that's what got me thinking. The, they all had type 1 diabetes? Now, let me go back and say, what is diabetes? Yeah. That, diabetes is diagnosed when your blood glucose level is high, higher than normal staying high, there are two types of diabetes. Type 1, where insulin is absent. Type 2, where insulin is present. To understand the significance of that, you need to know how insulin works. Insulin is a hormone released from your own pancreas in response to elevation of blood glucose, also known as blood sugar. Now, sugar is, uh, glucose is a molecule that every cell can use as a fuel to extract energy. Mm -hmm. But how does the cell know there is glucose outside? If you live in an apartment or a house, when the doorbell rings, you know there is somebody outside. But still, you have to go and open the door. Now, the glucose molecule has no doorbell on the cell wall to ring and let the cell know. That is the role of insulin. It is insulin that rings the doorbell to let the cell know there is glucose outside. Then the glucose, the cell has to send in a, a wagon, a glucose transporter to the door, open the door, load up glucose molecules, bring them in. Mm -hmm. Now you can imagine if, if insulin is absent, as in type 1 diabetes, which usually happens in children, you're born with type 1 diabetes. Outside. Yeah. But the cells are starving, and they used to die by the age of 10 until one of the great Canadian scientists, or two of them, discovered insulin, Banting, Banting and Best, 
And then when they started injecting insulin, these children survived a normal life. But juvenile diabetes is a little bit different, isn't it? Than t- That's the same as type 1. It is it's the same as type 1. Yeah. You're born with it, and, but it, 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 yeah, okay. okay. Type 2 is something you give to yourself. <laughs> type 2, insulin is present. Mm-hmm. Still the glucose level is high. So why is that? If you look at the website of the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Disease, they will say type 2 diabetes starts when three types of cells, the liver, the fat, and the muscles, don't respond to insulin. This is the so-called insulin resistance theory. Now, the problem is Nobody has validated this concept. In any science, any branch of science, before a concept is accepted as true or fact, it has to go through a three-step validation. The first is logic. Does it make sense? Human body has 200 200 different types of cell, Mm -hmm. but only three become resistant. Why? Who chose these three? It's as if they became a union and decided one day from tomorrow we are not going to respond to insulin but you have to have a reason and nobody has given us a reason okay now there are four different hormones that is intimately tied with minute by minute control of blood glucose level so why did these cells pick on insulin what is the reason nobody knows so the logic fails the second is the mechanism what is the mechanism that's not working? Is the doorbell not ringing? Is the signal not going to the gene in charge? Or is the gene incapacitated? Or is there something wrong with the wagon to load up glucose? Nobody knows. And again, is it the same defect in every one of these three cell sites? Again, no mechanism has been designed, you know, detected. The third criteria is measurement. There is no test to directly measure the intensity or degree of insulin resistance at any one of these sites. So if you get a complication, is it because your insulin resistance is getting worse? How do you know without a test? If you give somebody insulin injection, the blood glucose level goes down. Mm -hmm. Does that mean your insulin resistance is lower now? How do you know without a test? By the way, when you inject somebody with insulin, the glucose level goes down. Where does that glucose go? It does not go out of the body. I'll tell you a secret. Most people, when they start insulin injections, they gain weight. Mm -hmm. So what do you think happened to that glucose? It turned to fat. It was converted into fat. And it is the fat that blocks your arteries and creates all the complications. So what is it about insulin and insulin resistance that causes the neuropathy or the problems with their feet and the amputation? Because because this fat that insulin instructs the liver to convert the glucose into fat, that fat blocks the blood vessels so the the nerve cells don't get enough nutrients and they cannot function. Okay, but, but, but some fat people or obese people, let's call them <laughs> rather than fat people, some obese people, they don't have problems with their feet or other extremities. Now, you, you've got a very important point. What is the connection between obesity and type 2 diabetes? Yeah. How does obesity cause? Now, in the United States or in the Western countries, 80% of the type 2 diabetic people are obese. Whereas in India, of the type 2 diabetics are not obese. Okay. Okay. So what is the connection between obesity and type 2 diabetes? This is the concept that I'm proposing in my book, a brand new concept. Okay. What I'm suggesting is type 2 diabetes is a lifestyle condition, not a hormonal disease, but it is caused by grains. Okay. Okay. Now, what does grains do? What do grains do? When you eat grains, they are absorbed into the body as glucose. Each kernel of rice or wheat or corn, they have thousands of molecules of complex carbohydrate. Each molecule of complex carbohydrate 
can have up to 200,000 molecules of glucose. So you can imagine if you eat a tablespoon of rice, how much glucose is getting into your blood. Right. And the, this, any excess glucose, the cells cannot pick up, will be converted into fat by the liver. The liver sends this fat into the fat cells for storage. Now, you inherit a fat storage capacity from your parents. If your parents have been lean, as in India, you have a very small storage capacity. If your parents are bigger, as in the Western or cold climate countries, you have a largest capacity. When that capacity is filled up, the liver knows there is no storage area. So what the liver does is convert the glucose into fatty acid, but not to fat. Fat is triglyceride. When you check a blood sugar level or blood test, you'll see a triglyceride. Most people don't pay attention to it. So that is triglyceride. So if fatty acids are floating in the blood, you see our muscles are like a hybrid car that can use either gasoline or electricity to run the engine. When you are starving, you can still function. If you have not eaten all day, you can still function. You can run a marathon for hours without eating. Why? Muscles can use fatty acid as fuel. So if there is plenty of fatty acid in the blood, muscles will switch to fatty acid burning. Then do they need glucose? They don't. So that's why when insulin is ringing the doorbell, the cell doesn't care. Okay, well, I got a question that you sparked a curiosity in me okay in north america we eat a lot of grain but we eat it with right. a lot of fat deep okay. fried fat right yeah in mm -hmm. india you have maybe some naan and maybe some rice but you don't you don't have the mcdonald's and the fast food places and so i would like is there a relationship between eating the 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 grain with the with the fat that does that makes it more I don't know, it makes you more obese or does it temper? I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying let, though? I think the diet is very different. Let, let, let me give you, let me answer that in this way. In the year 1900, the Native Americans were coming to reservations. So they did an extensive study. And what they found was the incidence of type 2 diabetes was practically nil, very, very rare. Mm -hmm. As against right now, Native Americans have doubled the incidence of type 2 diabetes compared to white Americans in the United States. So what's the difference? Alcohol? No. <laughs> Native Americans, they, when in their natural habitat, they moved from one food source to another. Right. They ate whatever is available in that area. They never stayed in one place to cultivate grains. Right. They never had any grain-based products. So are you a proponent of a paleo lifestyle, a paleo diet? Yes, yes, similar to that. That is what the Native Americans had. Right. Once they, once they were moved to the reservation, their majority of dietary energy intake came from grains, right. starting with fry bread. Now, if Pasta. I may, let me give you another example. In 1984, an Australian researcher asked, 10 aborigines with type 2 diabetes on medication, can they go back to the bush and live like their ancestors? I saw that documentary, actually. Yeah. Within eight weeks, and that's where I said eight weeks. Yeah. Their, their blood sugar dropped. They were able to get off their diabetic medications. Again, why? They moved from one food source to another. They did not eat any cultivated grains. In fact, the percentage of uh, uh, co complex carbohydrate they consumed was anywhere from 5 to 35% based on where they lived. But in their urban lifestyle, the percentage of co complex carbohydrate from grains was 50%. But they also really liked soda. They liked to drink pop. Th that is true. But the most of the glucose in the body now, modern diet comes from grains. When is the last time? You had a meal or a snack without a grain flour product. Yeah. Well, I eat very little of it myself, but right. I, I know it's everywhere. 
Yeah, that yeah. is the cheapest food. That's yeah. the most packaged food. That's convenient food. And you and see it at, at food banks, right? Macaroni, boxes of macaroni and cheese. They, they, exactly. The people eat exactly. lots of, lots of grain. This is why people in the lower income society, part of the society, yeah. they have a higher incidence because that's the cheapest food available. That's subsidized yeah. food. Yeah, yeah. So, well, you're saying 100 million U.S. adults are living with diabetes or pre-diabetes since 2017. It, that, that's a lot of people. 100 yes. million people is a lot of people. Again, 100 years ago, the percentage of energy, food energy from complex carbohydrate was less than 35%. Now in the developed countries, it is 50%. In developing countries, it is 70%. Wow. Because every government subsidizes grain farming. Now, in your book, uh, Eat to Live, you, like, you don't, you talk about it like, in effect, it's almost like a paleo lifestyle. However, you, you don't mind dairy. And a lot, of, a lot of people are saying dairy is, is poison to us. After you're a baby and you breastfeed, you really don't need dairy anymore. What do you think? The, yes. In, in animal kingdom, adults don't, animals don't drink milk. We don't need to, but there's nothing against it because okay. there is no harm. It depends on how much. You now, there are some proteins in the dairy. So if you want to eat cheese, there's nothing wrong with it. The whole thing is the quantity. Now, if you are intolerant to lactose, if you're allergic to the protein in the milk, then of course you should avoid. Right. Otherwise, there is no medical reason to avoid it. If you don't want to drink it, that's fine. What, what, in your um, practice, what was, in, in with children especially, what was the number one allergy? that you found? Oh, the, 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 there can be milk, nuts, seafood. These are the most common. Right. Then peanuts, very common. And, and can, food, can, can food in children cause, um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it just went out of my head. It starts with an E. It's a, uh, not psoriasis, it's the other one. Uh, eczema, an eczema reaction. Can food cause that in children? Yes. Some, some children who are allergic to the, any ingredient in the food can have eczema or dietary intolerance, diarrhea, and some can even have asthma and wheezing. Some of them are so sensitive, the smell of peanuts right. can trigger wow. an asthma reaction. Wow. And irritable bowel? I mean, today, I mean, I see a lot of, of diseases that they didn't have a long time ago. Uh, IBS, uh, celiac, which is a grain, right? Um, although they can eat rice product, celiac can eat rice. It seems to right. be okay. Is, the, there, is rice okay? The, well, again, the quantity is the key. It is not the type. Unless you are sensitive, you know, gluten, if you are sensitive to it, then you can have a problem, the intestinal problems that you just discussed. Yeah. So you don't want people to have any grain at all, or you can have minute amounts of grain. You can have some as long as the quantity, the daily energy intake from all sorts of carbohydrates, including grain, is less than 35%. Okay. Okay. So if you order, the easiest way will be cut down to one half of what you are eating right now. That's all I'm asking. Right, right. Eat for six to eight weeks. See, think, of, think about this. If you don't put a food in your mouth that is absorbed into the blood as glucose, how can your blood sugar go up? Right, right. Yeah, That's I don't know. Point. Now, there was an interesting show, and I think it's, I, I watched the other day, where a girl had done a, and I don't know if this is true, but medically, she had been on a keto diet, mm -hmm. come off the keto for quite a while, come off the keto diet, ate a, grains. Mm -hmm. And her body, uh, blood, was like she had drank a lot of alcohol. It looked like they said, you, you know, you, you've been drinking. And she goes, no, I haven't been drinking. But it came out as if she had been, something about the keto, you know, not having any at all, then eating the grain caused, caused this reaction in her body. Have you ever seen anything like that? No, I, I, don't, I, I don't know about it, so I cannot comment on that. Yeah, yeah, interesting though. But in the keto diet, the body is breaking down 
fat and there will be fatty acids and that could be similar to the alcohol content i don't know so i cannot comment what, what would what is healthier the keto or uh, uh the the um another paleo. yeah the paleo which is what's better for you well the keto diet is something recent now, even in the paleo diet if you look at what we are talking about is people moving from one food source to another some days they may not or if you, for example the best example will be the inuits in alaska they are going whale hunting in the olden days they go six months mm -hmm. and they don't eat any grains right they're surviving on blubber right but they are larger people yes but what does that got to do with the blood glucose level at the time they are eating fat and protein right but shouldn't so they, they be thin i'm sorry shouldn't they be thin if that's what they're eating because no keto, you get thin no no that depends in a, in a cold climate uh-huh the fat is a is an insulator gotcha okay now that brings up the next question what is the role of cholesterol mm -hmm. cholesterol is the in, in insulator that prevents escape of body heat and moisture from the body so do they have and high so, cholesterol the inuit yes. okay that is the that is a, that is the role of cholesterol in the body so that they have heart even, disease even vegetarians need cholesterol otherwise they cannot survive right right so they when you are in a very cold climate you need a thick layer of fat to protect it as an insulator so this the organs yeah yeah so there is, that has nothing to do with the fat that will bother you is the fat that is circulating if it is stay outside the blood in the fat cell you're fine okay that is why there are some people who may weigh 300 pounds and still may have normal blood glucose level why because they have inherited a large fat storage capacity they can keep the fat outside the blood in in your in in your book eat to live you talk about um we all have an authentic weight and right. we innately know what our authentic weight is right i probably haven't been my authentic weight since i was two <laughs> i don't know well if you, the best way to do that is there are two ways one is what was your weight at your mid 20s if you don't have any medical condition, because the reason mid-20s is you have reached the maximum height and your bone density is the maximum. Once you identify that weight, that is most likely close to your authentic weight. If you don't know that, anytime you have your fasting blood sugar checked, if the triglyceride level is normal, if the blood glucose level is normal, then that can be as close to your authentic weight. Because any weight you gain after age 35, for most people, it is fat. It is not muscle mass, it is not bone density, it is fat. And when your fat stores are full, it will start showing up in your blood test. So go back to your blood test, previous blood test. Look at the fasting triglyceride. That goes up way before blood sugar goes up okay so that is the earliest sign your fat cells are getting filled up but you could have a big spread right you could have a big spread between 140 180 you could still be okay in there are you talking about the weight or the, the weight yes. yes as long as it is outside the blood you're fine you're fine okay so you cannot look at a person and say oh he is obese he must be unhealthy no I had two patients when I was in practice, both weighed 300 pounds. And they asked me, they both were told by their family doctors they should lose weight. So they asked me, I was seeing, seeing them for allergy. So each one asked independently, what should I do? So I asked the first guy, how is your fasting blood sugar? Normal. How is your fasting triglyceride? Normal. How is your blood pressure? Normal. Do you have any joint issues? No, I said, you are a big person. You are a heavy person. Your family, you inherited this from your family. You don't have no medical reason to lose weight. The other person, I asked the same question. He was on two different medications to control his blood sugar. And his doctor was saying, you either lose weight or you need to be on insulin. 
And I told him, yes, you need to lose weight because you are medically obese, not only physically, but medically. Right. So what I did was, so he asked me, I don't want to be on insulin because it so happened on that day when we had that conversation, he looked very distraught. And I asked him why. He said his secretary was having her leg amputated and I thought she may have been in an accident. She said, he said, no, she was a diabetic. She was on insulin and yet she got her leg amputated. So he did not want to go on insulin. He said, I have two boys in high school. I need to work. I need, I need my legs. What shall I do? I said, okay. I usually go to my home for lunch. I told, called my wife and said, I'm not coming for lunch. I'm going to go with this guy, my patient, to the nearest restaurant, show him how to eat, what to eat. Okay? That's awesome. So he selected the food. He ate, as I described, in Eat You Live. I did not see him for a year and a half. When he came back, he had lost 100 pounds. Wow. His blood sugar was normal. He was all off all his diabetic medications. I sent him for a fasting glucose tolerance test and sent the results to his family doctor. And she said, he's not a diabetic anymore. So what did he eat that lunch? What did you tell him to eat? I asked him to pick up whatever he eats, but I showed him how to eat. Okay. That is where the middle tit- word of the title is chew. Right. Now, let me explain that for most people are not thinking about this. Is there any food in nature that human adults can get nutrients from without chewing? I don't think so. Why? How do we know what are we eating? The whole, every living organism gets nutrients based on what is called chemical sensing. What that means is the body or the cell identifies, even the cells in the body, they have to, they have to allow only needed nutrients to get in. Mm-hmm. So how do they identify? They identify based on the structure. And if the structure fits in into the receptor, that is when they bring it in. So human body needs to know the chemical structure of what nutrients coming in. And we have sensors. Those sensors are on the tongue called taste buds and in the nose called smell receptors. If you have a cold, your food doesn't taste good. Yeah. You know the flavor. Why? Because the smell receptors are blocked. Right. But when you eat, the chewing releases, the, it controls the rate of release of nutrients so that these receptors can report to the brain what is coming in. Let me give you an example. Suppose you are thirsty right now. Can you predetermine how much water will it take to quench your thirst? No. No. How long will it take for you right now to drink Water to quench your thirst. How much time will it take? Two, right sec- Two seconds, three seconds? A few seconds. By the time you finish drinking, your thirst is quenched. Where is that water? That water is still in your stomach. Mm-hmm. It has not been absorbed into your body yet. How did your brain know you had enough water to quench your thirst now? Because if you have been working out, you would drink more. Right. So you are controlling the the rate of drinking based on your need. And when the intake matches the need, the brain says, stop drinking. Imagine if you will pour the water straight down the throat. You won't be able to know. Right. It's the same thing with nutrient intake. Human body needs 100 different nutrients. When you chew, the rate of release is controlled Your taste and smell receptors can report to the brain the first bite tastes so good when you are hungry. Yes. But after a few minutes, the intensity of the enjoyment goes down. Yeah. The brain is trying to tell you we had enough of this food. Forget about it. But do you stop? (laughs) Once you put it on the plate. (laughs) One time, 
Can I tell you a story? Yeah. One time I was counseling 10 adults, overweight adults mm -hmm. in Texas. And I told them that uh, to write down for three days, the exact time they felt hungry and the exact time they ate. Four out of 10 never felt hungry for three days. Yeah. But that did not stop them from eating. No. So yeah. I asked them why. Because, oh, it was time to eat. It was time to eat. <laughs> we get conditioned. Yes. And that is what happens. Yes. Yeah. The, it's interesting. I mean, many, many years ago, there was a Japanese philosophy about eating until you're satiated and then you stop. And I've done that for at least 20 years. I do not like to feel full. I don't like that feeling after Thanksgiving where you're so full, you got under your pants. I don't like that. So I always stop. And my brain says, you know, if you're hungry later, you can get some more. I don't have to exactly. shovel it all in, right? Exactly. And, and usually exactly you don't go get more food. Usually yeah. you don't need more food. You're okay. But, you know, you stop. And that for me, it was just a comfort. Yes. However, you know, we, we comfort our children with food. You, you know, the last couple of generations have comforted their children with food, especially when you didn't have food and food was scarce. You think it's a real gift to give it to somebody. Yes. Right? This is... When I counsel the same people, I told them, I grew up in India. Certain days I didn't feel hungry. Now I know why. Mm -hmm. Ask why. You were eating for me. <laughs> That's a good one. But now you can stop because you are creating your own problems. Yeah. And I'm thankful for you did, but not anymore. You see, the question is, do we still have the capability? Or as you mentioned, the children. When do you lose that capability? Dr. Clara Davis did a study in, that was published in 1928. She took 15 orphans who have never been exposed to any solid foods and put, it in a, put them in a hospital and gave them 30 different food simply prepared. The child has to point to that food. Then only the nurse will pick the food and put it in the child's mouth. In other words, each child selected what the child wanted, how much it wanted, and when to eat it. Mm -hmm. At the end of the study, 15 months later, every child was found to be perfectly healthy. And 10 of the 15 had underweight. They were underweight, and they picked up their weight. And you know, one child with rickets. Rickets is a bone deformity yeah. because of vitamin D deficiency, calcium. That child drank cod liver oil voluntarily. Oh, wow. wow. Until the rickets healed, then never touched it. Now think about it. For a child's brain to know what is needed in the body and which food provides that and how much of that food should be taken in before the wound healed. Yeah. If the child has that kind of capability, why are we not having it? You know, when we start losing it, at age six, you know why? Because we start listening to the parents. Mm. Finish your plate. Mm -hmm. You can have your dessert. Yeah. We don't have time to stop on the way. You better eat it because we are traveling. And gradually, and then the school, then the sports, then the work. We don't have time to eat. We yeah. don't have time to sit down and enjoy eating. Yeah, yeah. And I see that is a big problem. I, and I see that, you know. Uh, although I look at my grandchildren and the way my daughter, you know, daughters-in-law are, are feeding them. And, it, and it's beautiful. I mean, fresh vegetables and 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 you know they get to just choose what they want as they eat it and yogurt and berries and and they're eating really healthy and well and it's not junk it's not junk food they don't give them any sugar so they don't have a taste for the sweet yet everything tastes naturally sweet can i make one comment on sugar because the sugar has got bad reputation because blood sugar and table sugar Mm -hmm. But these are two different molecules. They are not the same. Blood sugar is glucose. The table sugar is sucrose, which is half glucose and half fructose. 
blood sugar is not directly coming from right. table sugar. Most of the glucose in the blood comes from grains. But the bad reputation is because of the name, the association, right. sugar, sugar. And if table sugar is responsible for blood sugar, all you have to do is look at diabetics. The moment they are diagnosed, they stop taking sugar. Does right. that make any difference to their blood sugar? No. So that is only a benef the only beneficiary for that concept is the people who manufacture and sell non-energy sweeteners. Yeah, which aren't good either. Right. But, but I, it, the brain still signals that it, it was something sweet, and so I think it still releases insulin, even if it's a if it's a non a not no, real sugar. It will not release insulin. No. So that is the problem in a way. It, the, the, you have sugary sensing or sweet sensing taste buds for a reason. To let the brain know that energy is coming in. Right. Glucose will be absorbed later on. So if you're hungry, you put a sugar containing candy in your mouth, your hunger sensation will subside. Okay? Yeah. But if glucose is not absorbed later on, that signal has no meaning. Right. So the brain may not respond to your sweet tasting signals later on. So this is why there are studies to show animals after a while gain more weight when they are continuously treated with artificial sweeteners. And the same in humans. You know, so we feel good. Oh, we are not eating enough energy. And there are people who eat more of cakes and other sweets because they are less sweetened. So, oh, this is, this doesn't, sweet, the sweetness is less, so I can eat more. Right, right. So that is the other side of the story. You feel comfortable and you end up yeah. consuming more. You know, I had a dog that had diabetes. I had to give him insulin. <laughs> if you do the same thing, control, if you look at the animal food, yeah. the animal diabetes is not any different from the same thing. The, the food contains more carbohydrate-based energy. If you cut that down, because in the wild, there are no animal dogs that are diabetic. It no. is domestic ones. Yeah. So let's talk about alkaline eating an alkaline lifestyle, alkaline like greens and, and things so that, you know, I know you had cancer, right? You had cancer yes. and yes. you said, there, there, and you talk about there's an interconnection with the food and the cancer. And did, so let's talk about cancer for a moment as it relates to food. Does it like an alkaline body as opposed to acidic? Like, or does that matter? Uh, to me, see, the pH or the acidity is a very well-controlled uh, mechanism in, in the a physiological state. And what we eat will not make that much difference in the, because the body has to maintain it correctly for the physiological function. Okay. So how it affects by minute by minute, it changes. So you cannot concentrate and change the whole internal acidity or alkalinity by food. No, you can change it locally in the intestine, but in the blood, it is a different story. Now, coming back to cancer. What is cancer? Cancer means uncontrolled multiplication of a cell. Okay? The cells need to multiply for example, if you have a cut in the skin, how do you heal? The cut skin separates and the exposed cells know their neighbor is missing. So it sends a signal to the control center, the gene in charge of cell multiplication. And the gene issues a work order. Okay, divide. And they start dividing from both sides. When they meet in the middle, they send a message to the a different gene in charge of stopping the work order. Right. Stop multiplication. 
we inherit two copies of each gene, one from the father, one from the mother. Suppose one copy of the work inhibiting gene, the growth inhibiting gene is damaged or mutated. The other one will take over and still stop the multiplication. Suppose both copies are damaged. No, some women inherit breast cancer gene from their mother. That means only one copy is mutated. The other copy will control. Otherwise, the, the girl should have cancer from childhood. As soon as the breasts start developing, they, should have, they don't have it. They are at it later. Why? Right. Because the second copy gets mutated. That's when, if there is a growth process, there's nobody there to stop it. So if both copies of the growth inhibiting gene are mutated, then you have a potential for cancer. That does not automatically mean cancer. Now, if, can I continue? Yeah. We are all products of, of a single stem cell. Stem cell is the mother cell that produces baby cells. Right. We are all, every human being is the product of a stem cell called the zygote, which is formed when the sperm fertilizes an egg. Do you know where this fertilization takes place? The act of fertilization? It does not take place in the womb. It play, takes place in the fallopian tube through which the ovum or the egg is traveling. And after the fertilization, it takes six days before it comes to the womb to be implanted. So when the fertilization took place, there was a one single cell called zygote. But by the time it reaches the womb, you know how many cells are in it? 200. So how did this cell divide? What is the signal? Where is the material? And how did it construct 200 cells? So what that means is the zygote multiplied or divided based on internal signaling because it is traveling. Mm -hmm. It's not connected to any source of signal. Mm -hmm. So that's internal signal. Now, every organ in the body has stem cells in our body. Yeah. If you, you know, blood cells, for example, they are damaged or destroyed whenever you have an infection. So you need new blood cells. The stem cells produce the new cells. Suppose one of the stem cells had a damaged gene. It is a cancer cell in waiting. Only when it responds to a signal for multiplication, it starts multiplying. But if the genes are already damaged, it cannot stop. It keeps on dividing, keeps on. That is cancer. Now, the question is, what's the difference between cancer in an adult and a child? The average age of an adult with cancer is 65. Why? Mm -hmm. Because we are accumulating mutations. It takes six decades of accumulation before a cancer stem cell is produced in an adult. The average age of a child with cancer is six. The child has not lived long enough to accumulate mutations. So why is the child having cancer? In my book, the last book, when your child has cancer, I'm giving two potential reasons. One is a defect in the manufacturing, a manufacturing defect. For example, if you have an airbag that is defective during manufacturing, right. You don't know that defect until it is deployed. The yeah. same way, you may have a manufacturing defect in the stem cell that is residing in the body someplace, whether it is in the bone marrow or in the brain, it doesn't matter. When that cell is activated, you have cancer. Is, is leukemia the most common in children? Yes. Okay. Yeah. The, the second way a cancer stem cell can happen is it is displaced. It's an orphan. For example, human brain has 100 billion cells. But du during the development, the fetus, those brain cells are created in the 
Uh, I'm sorry. The, it's okay. Phone. Somebody's calling you. The, the, those cells develop in the mid part of the body and they have to travel up to the brain. Then they have to decide to go to the left or the right because you have two hemispheres. Suppose it goes to the wrong side. It becomes an orphan there. But it's a stem cell capable of dividing. And it gets a signal to divide. And ordinarily, as I mentioned in the wound healing, it is the neighbors that tell, okay, send the signal to stop. But if it is in the wrong place, it has no connection with the neighbors. Once it starts multiplying, it doesn't know what the stop signal is. And that's why it can have cancer because a stem cell, which is an orphan, displaced in the body. And the neighbors don't fight back? They, they, have, they have to call. That's a very good question. You know why? Because the maximum number of precancerous cells in the body is when you are a fetus in your mother's womb. Okay. And 99% of that, those are destroyed by your own immune system. Yes, the neighbors will inform the immune system. The immune system has three ways. One is to correct the deformed gene. If that doesn't work, the cell has capability to self-destruct. If that doesn't work, the immune system has a, a branch of soldiers called the killer cells, just like in an army. Yeah. That their job is to hunt down and kill all the cancer cells. So that brings the next question. If you have such an important immune system, why are they not taking care of the cancer cells? Why are they allowing this cancer to multiply? The reason is very simple. Suppose the immune, the killer cells of the immune system can kill 1,000 cancer cells an hour. But if the cancer cell growth is 1,100 an hour, ultimately, who, who wins in the end? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Uh, we don't have much time, so I want just to make sure that all of the important things you wanted to say, we have said, especially for those with diabetes or prediabetes. Um, and it's a very interesting discussion. We could probably talk for hours on cancer and cells. Uh, but your, your, your message is, if you're type 2 diabetic, eight weeks, Stop eating corn, rice, wheat, whole wheat. It doesn't matter what kind of whole grain, non-grain, whatever it is. Just don't eat it. Or it's eat a small quantity of it. Uh, don't make right it your now, major food source. Cut down to one half of what you're eating right now. Try it for six to eight weeks. That's no, all don't, I'm don't eat cereal in the morning. If you're going to have grain, then have a sandwich. That two slices of bread, that's it. You're not going to have any rice for dinner or corn or anything like that. Yeah. What about what about like corn products? Now you've got glucose fructose made from corn. You've got you know different kinds of things that are made from those grains. I know beer, uh, rye, whiskey, things like that. Are are those counted into your daily? No, they, again, what does alcohol do? The cell can use the alcohol in place of glucose to produce energy. So if body is using alcohol, that glucose will stay in the blood. Mm -hmm. So you are, so depending on, again, the quantity you consume. Mm -hmm. So just cut it in half and you're going to be good to go. You have to be in charge of your body. Don't depend on a medication. Don't depend on a blood sugar number. That's you also talk about, sorry, in the book about that, you know, we, we, we hit on it just slightly about the subconscious choosing the foods that it needs to nourish itself. And if you allow your subconscious to choose instead of your eyes to choose or your, your conscious brain to choose, then you will always eat fairly healthy. The, the best example is suppose we go for a buffet. Yeah. There are a hundred items. We are going for lunch. How many will you choose? Yeah. Six. How many? <laughs> Give me a number. 
I, I'm going to choose six, maybe. I can't eat that six. much. Yeah. Based on, based on what you know, what you will enjoy. Yeah. Suppose you, we sit down, we ate those six, you enjoyed it. Suppose we go back to the same buffet for evening. Will you take exactly the same six? No. Why? Because I already ate that but, today. Right. What I'm suggesting is your subconscious mind knows what nutrients were absorbed from that meal. And the body needs something different. The subconscious mind will send a message to the conscious mind. Select the other two. They look more appealing. So you think you are consciously making the decision. But the subconscious mind is the one that is projecting that idea into your conscious mind. So if you pay attention, you can pick and choose. Just like the toddlers did in Dr. Davis's study. We have the capability, but we are too preoccupied. You're watching TV when you are eating. You are discussing something. Yeah. Your conscious mind cannot concentrate. Your subconscious mind takes over. The signal for then is the fullness. And then if you get up from your table with the fullness of the stomach, you have eaten too much. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you have to be in charge. What do you think about, very quickly, what do you think about intermittent fasting? Is that good for us, bad for us? Every day we are fasting. In between meals, we are fasting. When you are sleeping, you are fasting. If you want a few more hours fast, so what? Yeah. It is not fasting that makes a difference. It is how much you eat when you break the fast. So is three meals too much, do you think, in your opinion? You can eat for 10 times a day. It doesn't matter. If you are hungry, you eat. If you are not hungry, you, you have no business eating. Yeah. And, and it makes it hard because, you know, kids go to high school and, and, and their lunch is at 9 a.m. or their lunch is at 2 p.m. And yeah. so they have to eat according to a bell. We eat according yeah. to bells all day, every day, right? Yeah. Well, on the other hand, children can spend it. They are active. Yeah. The problem starts after you get 30, 35. Yeah. But by that time, you have control of most of your eating habits. So I'm giving you free reign to say whatever it is that you want to say. What, what, what do you want to leave, leave, leave with? Well, what I would like people is to start asking questions, especially people with type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. They should ask questions. If you are resistant to an antibiotic, the doctor will not give you the same antibiotic. Mm -hmm. But in diabetes, you are told you are diabetic because your body is resisting insulin. Then why are you giving me insulin? Mm -hmm. Ask the question. Mm -hmm. Where does that sugar go? Does that mean I will not have complications of type 2 diabetes? If you are having complications in spite of insulin, what is insulin doing? So ask questions. We need to ask the endocrinologists and the diabetes educators for answers. And we need to be in charge of our own bodies, our own food intake. And nature has put all the faculties in our brain. All you have to do is to use them. I Enjoy agree. the Eat what you enjoy, but more importantly, enjoy, enjoy what you eat. eat. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm going to say goodbye, Facebook. <laughs> you were listening to Dr. John Putalil, and you can go to Amazon, and all of his books are there. You can read more about him, but definitely uh, hope you enjoy my website is My website is drjohnonhealth.com. Drjohnonhealth.com. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. We're going to say goodbye to Facebook.